Well, we're taking a pause, a brief pause in our series through the Gospel of Mark today in light of today's service. I want to read a scripture to you. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, open them to John chapter 16, verses 20 through 24. John 16, verses 20 through 24. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but you will see, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask me, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, You've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said that there, your, your word says that there is a time and a purpose for everything under heaven. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate the lives of these children and the joy resident in the families, the glorious inconvenience of children and what they mean to these families and to our church. But Lord, in this service, we also want to remember those who are without. Uh, we wanna take a moment to also mourn with those who mourn. And we wanna be honest about suffering. We wanna be honest about the realities and the difficulties of life. May my tongue be like the pen of a ready writer. Use the limitations of my words and of my friend's words and help us each to see Jesus more clearly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Are you familiar with the idea of EQ? Everybody familiar with EQ? These guys are doing a kind of EQ in the background. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a musical EQ. I'm talking about EQ versus IQ. Uh, down through the years, a lot of attention was paid to intelligence um, and your intelligence quotient. You had to know where, what your IQ was or you needed to or maybe you didn't want to know. You didn't think it was very good. Um, EQ is different than that, and I think most of you are familiar with this idea. But all sorts of studies have come out over the last few decades to reveal something about how important emotional intelligence is in an individual who engages with any system, in a family, in a community, in a culture, in a city, on a team. EQ is, of course, emotional quotient. According to one online definition I read for the medical industry, IQ tests the measure of your ability to solve problems, use logic, or grasp uh, and grasp or communicate complex ideas. EQ tests your me uh, tests measures uh, tests and measures your ability to recognize emotion in yourself 
and others, and to use that awareness to guide your decisions. Actually, neuroscientists have discovered those two things are different parts of the brain. Left brain, right brain, slow track, fast track. And you make decisions on the slow track, but your fast track six times a second is analyzing your place in the world. Just like the rest of us, each of these babies we just saw were born with a certain genetic code that determined the range of their athleticism, whether or not they have an eye for design, an ear for music, hands for building, a mind for engineering, a heart for healthcare. They're each born with a certain IQ, or of course, they can um, decide whether or not they're going to use that IQ or not. But the interesting thing about EQ or emotional intelligence is it seems not to be limited in the same way that those other things are. Every one of these children has the God-given capacity, just like you and I do, to become emotionally mature. Yes, in spite of family of an origin, in spite of genetic code, or even most traumas that we endure, we all have the capacity to grow in this area. And we as followers of Jesus would say this, we all can become like Jesus. When I think about Jesus and the way that he lived, I don't just think about the miracles. I don't just think about the beginning and the end of his life. I think about the way that he lived. The authority with which he taught, but also the tenderness with which he forgave and healed and listened. I think it's remarkable just how emotionally intelligent we see Jesus to be in the pages of Scripture. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, yet Jesus knew how to celebrate. Jesus told jokes, and he also wept. Jesus confounded the most intelligent, the, the academic elite, but he also said, let the little children come unto me. Jesus endured the cross with a kind of strength and endurance that maybe no human has ever seen or expressed before. And yet, while he's on that cross, he's tender and present enough to look down to John, the disciple Jesus loved, and say, hey, John, take care of mama, would you? And may John commit to do that. You see, Jesus was a man of sorrows, but also joy. He knew how to celebrate, but he also knew lament. I would dare to say Jesus Christ was the most emotionally intelligent person who ever lived. The term we use for that is a non-anxious presence. Think about all the opportunities Jesus had to be anxious, and yet Jesus was a non-anxious presence. You know what I think is even more remarkable than that? Of course, Jesus was emotionally intelligent. He's, yes, he's 100% man, but he's 100% God, right? Of course, I mean, if he has access to all knowledge, wouldn't you be emotionally intelligent? I think what's even more remarkable the, uh, about the fact that Jesus was a non-anxious presence is that he looked and talked to his disciples as if they could be too. He invited them into a way of life 
and looked at them and talked to them as if they could do the things that he did, as if they could respond to life in the way that he responded, as if they could have the same EQ as Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in John 16, 33. Jesus was honest about what was happening in life and what was about to happen in their lives. He said, you will have suffering in this world. That's sorrow. That's being honest about the difficulties of life. And boy, did they face incredible trials. Be courageous, he said on the other hand. I have conquered the world. Maybe you've heard it in the NIV. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. This idea may be surprising to you, or maybe you see a gap in the way that Jesus taught and the way that a lot of Christians live. If you're not a Jesus follower, you may think that Christians have a reputation, or at least maybe in the West, of being blind optimists, of when difficulties come, they just get a scripture to kind of build themselves up and just kind of ignore what's going on in life. But can I tell you, that's not the way of Jesus. That's not what the people of God have done down through the ages. Did you hear what Jesus just said? He's honest about suffering and sorrow, yet, he says, take heart. Yet he rejoices. There is a, um, there's a Christian therapist named Dr. Kevin Neiman who um, has this illustration that I love. He says that emotions are tethered together in a spectrum. Who knows how many emotions there really are, but he just says, let's just talk about some emotions that we know. Joy and sorrow. Happiness and sadness. Instant gratification and anger. He suggests that these are tethered together. Something happens in our lives, a trauma, a difficulty, a, tr a trial, and most of us want to quiet that sorrow, that grief. Dr. Kevin Neiman says when you freeze your sorrow, you also freeze your access to joy, and you're left with happiness and sadness. And then some of us just can't, sadness reminds us of our sorrow, so, so we can't sit quietly alone in a car, so we got to turn a podcast on, or we got to call somebody, or we got to pull up our phone and look through social media. We just can't stand the, 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 the thought of sadness because it reminds us of our grief, and so we freeze our sadness, and we lose access to happiness. And what are we left with, he says, but instant gratification and anger. Instant gratification and anger. Jesus says, uh-uh, uh-uh. Don't you know? You don't have to ignore your sadness and your sorrow. P Pastor Timothy Keller, an author, uh, cancer survivor, writes, Christianity teaches that unlike Stoicism, suffering is grievous. Unlike monism or monism, suffering is real. Unlike karma, suffering is unjust. Unlike secularism, suffering can be meaningful, always each view, each of those views may have a truth on offer, but it overemphasizes that one truth and excludes the other. That's not what Jesus does. That's not what he did. He does not ignore suffering in order to reach for joy. Unlike 
the people who subscribe to those other world philosophies, Christians, or we would say disciples in the way of Jesus, have resources on offer, and one specific resource on offer that provides a kind of emotional intelligence. What is that thing? It's joy. In the verse that we read, John 16, 20, Jesus says, you will lament, but you will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. He compares the contrast of childbirth uh, th- this contrast to childbirth. When a mom has delivered a baby, he says, she forgets the anguish. She no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of that human being born into the world. Henry Nowen writes, joy is hidden in sorrow and sorrow in joy. If we try to avoid sorrow at all costs, we may never, may never taste joy. If we are suspicious of ecstasy, agony can never reach us either. Joy and sorrow are the parents of our spiritual growth. That's an interesting thought. But joy, as we all know, is different than happiness. Joy is not the absence of grief. Jesus, the man who's in whose presence his fullness of joy was about to leave his disciples, And these disciples had seen the very face of God when they saw Jesus. They had looked into his eyes and found forgiveness and wholeness in this Hebrew word shalom. But they would see that face become marred more than any man. They would see the hands that healed be stretched out on a cross. They would see the very voice that cried out to tell Lazarus to come from the grave, cry out to God and say it is finished. But Jesus somehow told them that they didn't have to be sorrowful. They didn't have to to be only sorrowful. They could find joy in the midst of their grief. In fact, he said, no one will take that joy from you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So in a day of celebration, we want to be honest. We want to stand in solidarity with people who have only found grief in this moment, in this, in this idea. There are some people who cannot have children for various reasons. There are some people who have had miscarriages, stillbirths, some parents who have outlived their children. In a day like today that is full of celebration, we want to be honest about the fact that not everyone comes to a day like today with joy. How do we find fullness of joy? Celebration and lament. In John 15, Jesus pointed to a path. He said, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. And he says this, abide in my love. These things have I spoken to you that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what's the path to that joy? Joy is one of those funny things that if you chase it, you will not find it. But if you pursue love, joy will chase you down. 